Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 2 here in just a moment. Philippians in the New Testament after Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians there. And we'll take a, a look at a couple other passages as well today as we, as we look at the Scriptures. We continue our series, if you've been around at all in the last six weeks or so, or pick up the, the podcast at least, you know that we've been working through this theme, this series, Don't Waste Your Struggle. And looking at that from different angles, maybe you can think about it as a prism, you know, different light strands that we're able to look at of this uh, way that we can grow, mature, relate to God right in the midst of our struggles and difficulties, whatever those may be for any of us here. And uh, we're basing the series on a booklet by John Piper called Don't Waste Your, Your Cancer. So I've been drawing from that each week as well. One thing that I suppose I, I neglected to say, I think, uh, earlier in our series, and I guess better late than, than never, and, and that I want to make sure I clarify, oh, hopefully we all have already had this thought in the back of our mind as we've been working through this series, but I guess I ought to say it out loud. And that is that uh, our struggles are not wasted if God chooses to take them away, right? If God chooses to restore the marriage, bring back financial prosperity, uh, help uh, rectify a situation with a wayward child, bring back a friendship, uh, expand employment opportunities, get, get health and, and vitality back physically to you, if God chooses to, to do that, our struggles aren't wasted in that sense, right? It's, uh, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. So what we've been trying to look at the last number of weeks is the reality that sometimes those struggles remain. And what do we do with those struggles? But in saying that, we're not, this, this isn't a masochistic club, right? We're not looking for difficulty and pain for its own sake. We're, we're happy if God chooses to bring relief, to bring restoration, to bring healing, whatever is needed in the midst of our struggles. So uh, God's glorified in that just like God can be and is glorified when we face our struggles in dependence upon him and reliance upon him. So I wanted to mention that off the, off the bat today. And, and today what we're going to look at as we turn to Philippians 2, we're going to look at verses 25, I think it is, yeah, 25 through 27. <clears throat> and at, at first glance, it may seem a little bit confusing. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. But here's what we're talking about. We're going to talk today about at least one challenge or one tendency we seem to have when we're struggling, and that is that we often retreat. We take a step back from other people. We maybe take a step back from the body of Christ. And these verses and some others we'll look at today, I think, paint a picture of a, a very different way of living through struggling, that of living it with fellowship and connection with others. So, Read along with me silently as I read aloud Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 25, and it's about this guy, Epaphroditus. I know that's a big name, but it's just a guy's name who works with Paul to minister to the Philippian church, and we should note that Paul is writing this. This is one of the prison epistles, prison letters. He's writing it himself from prison, so he's in a situation of struggle, and we'll read that Epaphroditus is having a different sort of struggle. Verse 25 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you, that's the Philippian believers, 
Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He's got a lot of jobs, this guy. Read that again. Your, your, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed. Why? Because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only upon him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes to one of the ways that we can avoid wasting our struggles. And that is, Lord, that instead of retreating in our struggles, we would engage with others. We would receive the blessing of the body of Christ to love and encourage us. And Lord, even this crazy prayer that in the midst of our struggles, we would be vehicles of blessing to others. Give us a vision for that, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure I've mentioned in the past the movie with Robert Duvall as the lead actor. It's entitled Get Low. I don't know how many people have had a chance to, to watch it. I know I've mentioned it for various purposes up here at, in front before, but it's, a, it's an interesting and entertaining sort of movie. It's not exactly a dark comedy, but it kind of leans that way. It's basically uh, Robert Duvall is this character, Felix Bush, I think is his name, who lives off in the, the mountains as a hermit. He's a recluse. He's removed from society all by himself. And he's been, that, he's been in that situation for decades. And the sort of humorous part of it is that he's, he's getting older, getting further along in life, so he's thinking about his final arrangements, his funeral, and so forth. And it turns out uh, be, people in the city become aware that he, although he's been removed and people are afraid to even go anywhere near his house or interact with him in any way, he's got a lot of cash. He's got a lot of cash. And Bill Murray plays a rather entertaining character as the funeral home director in this particular movie. Uh, Lucas Black, if you know that actor, is kind of his assistant. And then Sissy Spacek is the lead uh, female character. So it's got a lot of interesting folks in it. Well, Bill Murray is, uh, is intrigued because uh, his funeral home practice is not doing so well. And so he wants to try to figure out how can I get connected with Felix Bush and uh, make sure that, that he gets the revenue for this big event. Well, it ends up that Felix really, at the end of the day, wants to plan a big uh, celebration. And he also wants to have his funeral arrangements taken care of. But he knows and he discovers further through the process that the pain and the struggles and the issues that have caused him to withdraw and remove himself from others, they've got to be dealt with first. They've got to be dealt with first. And so it's a powerful story about one of those challenges that we have, whether, whether we bring some struggles upon ourselves, as we all probably do, you know, one of the, one of the results of sin and, and the mistakes we make along the way is we bring those things on ourselves, or sometimes God lays things just on us for us to, to deal with. Whatever the case is, we tend to, one of our responses is that we tend to retreat. We tend to withdraw. Now, I suppose in some cases, I should say that there are folks that uh, move 
into community in almost a codependent sort of way in the midst of struggles. I, I, we're not uh, saying that that's necessarily a healthy thing. People that aren't learning in the midst of struggles to be able to manage and maybe even and stand in relationship with God on their own two feet through that. That's, that, that's not what we're aiming at here. But most of us, I think, probably tend to withdraw in the midst of struggles. Well, why? When we're struggling, we start to feel down. We start to feel down, we start to feel a little depressed. And one of the natural things is you, you, you can pull back from other people. You don't want people to see you at your worst. You want people to see you at the, the Instagram post or the Facebook post where you, you look your best. And when you're struggling, you, you know, you're maybe not looking the best. You're not appearing the best. And it's difficult then to want others to see us in that condition. Another thing we face is when we're struggling, a lot of times we think we are what? The only one. The only one. We're the only person in the church body that could possibly be struggling with whatever. Struggling with homosexual temptation. The only person struggling with crippling debt. The only person dealing with constant anxiety and anxious thoughts. The only person that's got to wrestle with aging parents in this way, or failing health, or a troublesome marriage, or addictive patterns, whatever your struggle is, we think we're the only one that's got that going on. And we'll talk about that in a minute because Satan loves for us to think that because then he can pick us off individually. Maybe the other reason that we sometimes retreat is that we have had past experiences or in the current struggle we're dealing with, where we have tried to reach out to the body of Christ, and guess what? We're all sinners. The people around us haven't loved us sufficiently, haven't really cared for us. We, we've kind of been disappointed in that way. Or maybe we've got too high in expectations of what other people can and should do in the midst of our struggles, or a little bit of, of both. That's, that's a tough thing that causes us to retreat. In all these ways, we can forget, we can miss the biblical teaching about the body of Christ, that this body is here to support us, to help us, to lead us through our struggles and difficulties. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you all know next to C.S. Lewis, probably I like to reference uh, Bonhoeffer the, the most. He's got a book and I would just tell you, I was reading back through the first 30 or 40 pages for today's sermon, and I will tell you, it, it remains to me the absolute best book on Christian community. If you just read the first, and mine is the first 39 pages, it's chapter one. This is worth, the, this is worth everything uh, for, a, for a little Amazon purchase, for sure. It's called Life Together by German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was actually executed at the end of the... Uh, end of Hitler's regime at the end of World War II, but he wrote this about what Christian community should be. And I'm sure I've read this before uh, from, from up here, but I'll read it to us again, because he reminds us what God's vision is for the body of Christ to be for us in the midst of our struggle. He says, God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be, be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed 
that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He's not talking here about preachers. He's not talking about me up here preaching. He's not even talking about your small group leader. He's talking about one another, friends, peers, speaking God's word. Listen to what else he says. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And then this last sentence, if you don't take anything away from this sermon today, please take this one away. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. You get that picture? The picture is this, is that you and I are going to ebb and flow. We're going to have some opportunities where we get to be the person who speaks the word of, of God's truth in whatever area into our brother's life and, and or our sister's life, or where he or she is struggling in, in a place of difficulty. And, and we get to be on the opposite end of it too. We get to be on the receiving end of it too sometimes when we're in a place of weakness or discouragement where God's word is stronger in our brother or in our sister that speaks to us. We need each other is a simple way of putting it. This is the picture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 27 that we read earlier. It's in the one sense a little confusing. On the other hand, since it's pretty straightforward, it's, it's remarkable that Epaphroditus, he is sick. He's not doing well. It sounds like he's almost died because Paul talks about having sorrow upon sorrow, and he says that he's almost, uh, almost died. And, and the point is this, that Epaphroditus, if you look at verse 26, it says about him, so he's the one that's, that's having difficulty. He's struggling, but it says he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Right? That doesn't sound like a guy who's retreating back from community in the midst of his struggle. He's concerned about how other people are concerned about him. That's a person who's connected with other people. The Apostle Paul says sorrow upon sorrow. If he lost him, the two of them are connected. That's the picture we get there. Well, why, why, do, we, uh, why do we struggle with this? You don't, need, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want. Genesis chapter 3, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, and we, we're going to see that one of the results of the fall is that we move towards isolation. So the first step is rejecting isolation. We got to reject that as a way to deal with struggle. Okay? If we want to make sure we're not wasting our struggles, then we need to reject isolation as a way to deal with it. If you look all the way back in Genesis, this is right after the fall. So Adam and Eve have just sinned, and it's, it's, it's monumental consequences and implications, but today we'll deal with it just narrowly for the issue we're talking about. Today, some of the heaviest verses to me in the Bible, uh, Genesis 3, 8 to 10, says this, talking about Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is the garden where they were intended to have perfect fellowship with God, with one another, 
with creation, to live out their purposes there. It says, uh, they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. What a beautiful thing. He calls out to the man and said, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That tells us a lot about how we can tend to relate to God and the beauty of God's grace that calls us out of our brokenness and to know God and experience God through Jesus and his righteousness. But, but, but for our purposes today, it's a reminder that what's one of our tendencies? When we feel naked, when we struggle, we feel that way, weak and, and uh, unable, we take a step back. We often tend to withdraw, not just from God, but from others around us as well. Uh, Rick Warren said this, he says, Satan loves detached believers, unplugged from the life of the body, isolated from God's family, and unaccountable to spiritual leaders because he knows they're defenseless and powerless against his tactics. Okay? The evil one loves to divide and conquer, and we tend to cut off our nose to spite our face, don't we? <laughs> We're already struggling. We're already having difficulty. And then we remove one of the things that could really help us, which is other people around us. So a question for us today, one of the questions is, when you and I face struggles, whatever those are, do we tend to isolate or do we integrate? Do we withdraw or do we connect? What does this say about how we view ourselves and we view the body of Christ and others' role in our lives? Important questions, I think. Important. Second thing we see in these verses today is that we are given a model in Jesus Christ of how we can embrace others in the midst of struggle and be connected to others in the midst of struggle. Now, obviously, what Jesus did on the cross is something that only he could do, and the way he did it, and even the way he, the way he loved the whole world and laying down his life for our sins, but also the way that he loved others while he was on the cross is probably something that it can only be a, a dream or an aim for us, but it nevertheless should be a dream or an aim for us. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but John chapter 19, John chapter 19, this is Jesus while he is on the cross, he is concerned about others. So he's suffering. He's in excruciating pain. He's in difficulty, but he's looking out for others. He's thinking about the connection between himself and between others. If you look at verse 26 of John 19, it says that Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. This is while he's up on the cross. And he said to his mother, to Mary, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. What's Jesus doing? Even in the midst of struggle, he's looking outward. 
He's looking to his connection with others. He's connecting others to serve and support one another. That's the vision. Uh, we don't need to read the verses from Luke 23. It's actually Luke 23, 39 through 43 that I had in mind. But you remember the uh, others that are on the crosses by Jesus, right? The criminals, and they have this dialogue, and the one is very frustrated with Jesus, and the other one says, hey, look, we're deserving getting the punishment we deserve. He doesn't deserve what he's getting. And you remember what Jesus says to that one that looks to him in faith? Today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Even as Jesus is dying on the cross, he's being that brother man to the other person to give him God's word that Bonhoeffer is talking to us about. He's speaking that word out, even on the cross, even to that one person that matters. So one question we've got to ask today is, as we think about that model that Jesus has, how does it shape how we uh, live out our struggles and think about others around us? Two more things I want us to touch on today. One is uh, Acts chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like to, Acts chapter 2. And it's just this picture of the early church community, the body of believers. And I, I just want you to see how they're living out life and they're aware of one another's challenges and those who can meet the challenges are helping to do it. And those who have the challenges must somehow be letting others know because they're, they're meeting them. So they're not living in such isolation that they're unaware. Look at Acts 2, 42. It's a fantastic picture of community in the early church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, uh, Jim Freud was up here earlier talking about one of the things that he helps with as a deacon, and that's this thing, our, our deacon fund. Now, a lot of us, our, our struggles might be just mental or spiritual or for encouragement or whatever. You know, it's not, that, it's not necessarily that there's a material need there. Sometimes maybe it's harder to let people know about those non-material needs. But I know one thing we have found as a church is that we really desire to serve and to strengthen and to bless one another, but we can't do that if we don't know where you're struggling. We can't do that. And you see in the, the picture in Acts here that somehow, again, it's not a, it's not a communist uh, manifesto here. The people still have their possessions, right? They're just selling some of what are their possessions to help others, but they're doing that. They're looking out for the needs of others. So one of the things we find sometimes is harder in our church circles. It's, it's easier, frankly, to get the resources into the deacon fund. It's harder to find out who's really in need. Who's in a spot where you're struggling and you're not, you're not able to make ends meet? I mean, we all know we can't, we can't replace a whole income or a whole job, but uh, let the church body encourage you in your struggle where you are. 
You don't have to let everybody know about it. You know, just let Jim know about it or let me know about it or whoever, somebody in leadership that you trust, that we can come alongside you. We want to help that way. We know the body of Christ is supposed to help that way. Uh, It's interesting uh, in a separate article that John Piper has written that I read this week, he said this other thing I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, This is more broadly just talking about our general needs. He said this, he said, sometimes when we're in the midst of our struggle, we're wondering when is it going to be over? Of course, that's one of the big things we wonder all the time. Is there going to be some completion to this? Is this going to continue on forever? Is this a lifelong thing? What is it? And I I don't know. It's probably different for different issues that each of us deal with. But one of the things Piper says I thought was really interesting. Uh, Probably most of us in here have had the opportunity to be the person, I hope you have, that speaks into another person's life and gives them God's word and his encouragement. Maybe you've been the person that's been able to sell some of your possessions and give to somebody else and bless them material. Whatever way it is, you've been the vehicle, the vessel of helping another person. I, I hope we all have in some way or form. And what Piper says is when you are the person struggling, it makes sense to be, want, to be out of that difficulty, to want to be out of it. He said, but God is perhaps doing something in another person that God wants to use and give the blessing of being used in your life and that part of why your struggle may be there. This sounds crazy, but just think about it a little bit, is that God wants to strengthen somebody else who's going to come alongside you and serve you. God wants to do a work in them that way. I think that's kind of wild to think about, but it it got me spinning this week, got me thinking a little bit, and I think it's a powerful, powerful thought. Last thing we see is a couple of passages in Acts, Acts 8, 4, and Acts 11. You see the verses there in the sermon notes in your worship guide if you're looking at that. You see the early believers um, got scattered. They got spread out into different places. They, They underwent persecution, and they weren't where they were before in a place of security and comfort maybe. And every time that that happens, they do something. They speak the word. They preach. They impact other people's lives in the midst of their struggle of being persecuted and relocated. And I'll close with this. It makes me think of a student that I had back in my college ministry years. And he was, uh, he was not from this, this country, so he was sort of a, an outsider, if you will. And a super, super intelligent individual he had shared with me over a period of time significant, significant difficulties and abuse that he had experienced growing up. Uh, da- damaged goods, this, this guy was. And yet he'd come to faith in Christ, and it was interesting because he had a lot of struggles with those things from his past and how they were affecting him. Somewhere along the way, the work of Christ in his life his involvement in our college ministry, and just, you know, some encouragement from me and others. This guy who could have probably written any math textbook at a collegiate level began to go with a ministry we were part of to tutor kids from an underprivileged area who could barely get their math homework done and had no other people helping them. And it was fascinating to watch how God 
brought him with, you know, intimidated and, and trepidation that he had out of himself and into the lives of other people. And as he began to connect with them and share with them, then he was blessed as well and saw the value that he had, the impact, the significance that he could have. So as we think about ourselves being in a place of struggle, sometimes we think, well, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that stuff. It makes me feel you know, humble and limited and frail. I don't like feeling that well. Well, you, you and I might just be surprised. When we're in that spot and somebody comes to help us, they're going to help us. And guess what? Before you know it, you're the brother man speaking the word back to them. You're the one having an impact on them. And God wants to use you and be that way. God wants us to be connected in community that way. And I encourage you and I to, to seek it in the midst of our struggles. Let's pray.